Welcome back to the Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet William Vincent. William is a Django teacher, a Django podcast host, and author of three books on Django. William, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is right, right before the holidays. I'm super excited. Before we jump into this, I need to uh, figure out how do I explain Django to my 97-year-old grandmother? Okay. So your 97-year-old grandmother is probably aware that there are websites and that they need to be built. And so Django is a tool, a framework for building websites. And usually the way I would describe it is, say, there's two choices you have to make if you want to build a website. You have to pick a programming language. So there's a couple you could choose. Python is one of the more popular ones. And if you are going to use Python, then Django is probably the most popular one you will use. I probably wouldn't mention Flask to her. Um, so usually a two-parter. It's just a, a tool set to make um, websites. And usually, you know, for someone who's non-technical, I would describe it as, you know, why would you do that? You say, well, think about a website. They have a lot in common, right? They have a database you can log in. Maybe the top and the bottom, the nav and the header, or the header and the footer look the same. So these are things that can be abstracted away, which is what programmers do. Um, so yeah, I usually describe it as a tool and I kind of wait for the eyes, you know, the eyes to glaze over a little bit. But I think if you, I think if you put it in terms people understand, they get it. They're like, okay, website's a tool to do it. And you try to like, I always try to push people a little bit and then, yeah, when they zone out, you know, they zone out. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that. So uh, another question I had for you was how did you go from history and business into teaching computer science? It seems like. Oh yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm in my thirties. Um, but yeah, I didn't start coding until I was in my early 30s. I'm in my late 30s now. Um, yeah, it's hard to predict the future. I mean, I, yeah, I, you know, the, quick, the quick takeaway is I, I studied history and economics. I was a book editor, saw that industry plummeting, uh, got an MBA, learned how to code a little bit then, joined startups in San Francisco, one called Quizlet. It's now a big education site. And then really, I started embarking on my teaching career because I became a parent. And hard to juggle parenthood and uh, Silicon Valley startups. And so that led me to learn how to code for real with uh, Python Django and some other things. And then starting in 2016, I was in between startups. And as I was interviewing, I always felt frustrated by the process of learning, specifically Django, because um, I knew enough of it to understand it, but felt like the resources didn't match up with how I would explain it to someone. So I, alongside interviewing, started writing did some books and then they did well enough that I'd been doing that ever since. So now I have three books, podcast, um, website, and, um, and actually, um, just, I guess yesterday I was just, um, nominated to the Django software foundation board, um, which I'm very, um, honored to be. So, so Django, the, the more I've learned about the Django community, the more I learn it's inner workings and kind of how powerful and, and fragile it is. So Django is run mm -hmm. by, the Django Software Foundation, which has, I think it's historically six people, may, might be eight now, who meet monthly and kind of run Django. And I can go as deep on that as you want, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a real honor to be on there. I'm hoping to help spread the gospel that Django can be accessible because it sometimes gets a bad rap as being um, too heavy and bloated versus Flask. And I think that's a misconception. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, first of all, congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, that's, I mean, that's not even like a, 
a thing you can apply for, right? Like it's kind of granted to you based on your contributions to the community. Is that kind of what I, I So it's a little bit, so it, it's been educational for me to understand how, you know, Django works. And it actually it's worth mentioning because I still think uh, there's a lot of communication that can be done to explain. Um, so there's basically three models for any open source software. It could be an individual. So like Vue.js is uh, Evan Yu. Um, he really leads it and he does some consulting fundraising. So it could be an individual, it could be a company. So Facebook with React, Google with Angular, um, or it can be um, a nonprofit, which is what Django is. And that's really, I think the best model, but comes with some challenges and opportunities. So the way Django works is that there is there are members of Django. There's around, I wanna say 80. So you have to be nominated to be a member and then uh, for contributing to the community. And then of those 80, they vote every year on the board, which day-to-day -day runs Django. Um, mm -hmm. So I was first uh, nominated and accepted as a member, and then the members vote on the board. So only the members vote on the board. And then what do they do? I mean, I'm curious to find out exactly. I mean, I know a lot of these people personally. Um, I believe what happens is that, so Django has two fellows, so people who are paid to work full-time on Django, well, almost full-time on Django, triaging tickets, handling releases. That's why Django has every nine months a release cycle. It's why it's very stable because people mm -hmm. are being paid to do that kind of unglamorous work. So okay. the Django Software Foundation manages and pays the fellows. It also helps with conferences. There's a number of um, annual conferences and then a bunch of miscellaneous things. Uh, but it's a tricky balance because Django is open source. People volunteer their time, so it's a volunteer position. Um, and yet it does have some fundraising needs. So I'm, uh, you know, for example, one of the things I'm gonna try to work on is, um, you know, a merchandise store, an official one for Django, because I was at, I've been at DjangoCon conferences just a couple months ago and everyone's wearing a developer t-shirt of some kind. And there's nothing for Django. So, I mean, I'd like to have one anyways. And I think if all the profits go towards the Django software foundation that does a lot of yeoman's work, that would make sense. So, sure. So hopefully yes. that's a quick description. I mean, it's a bit in the weeds, <laughs> but I find that, you know, I, because I, I sit in between a lot of different worlds. When I go to these conferences where I talk to these people, you know, on the board, they just sort of assume everyone knows how it works. And I say, I think 99% of Django programmers don't even know that there is a board. Right. Um, they probably don't even know that there's fellows. It just sort of magically appears. And, you know, Instagram uses it and millions of people use it. But when you get right down to it, it's a half dozen, a dozen people, volunteers, um, making it happen. And so that's kind of what I spoke about, the, fr the fragility a little bit. Hmm. Um, it makes me appreciate kind of how beautiful it is, but also that, you know, people burn out or people move on to other things. So it needs to be refreshed. And um, another big thing for Django is it's a very global community who uses it, but the group um, who does a lot of the code is predominantly white uh, Western European males. Um, hmm. So one fantastic thing about the board is that it's, um, much more diverse than that. Um, and that's something that Django community really is, is aware of and is working towards, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, that uh, everything you shared there, uh, it was just like so many uh, little thoughts triggering. Uh, I, I mean, it's, yeah, you're, you're spot on. Uh, I, don't, I don't think people think about all the, all that goes on behind the scenes. They just, you know, pip install uh, Django, you know? Like. Yeah, well, and they, shouldn't, and they shouldn't have to, but I think yeah. it's, um, you know, this is the thing with open source, right? It, it, it's free and there needs to be some sort of model of refreshing and renewing it. And a lot of the people who do the work, they certainly don't do it for, 
you know, public exposure, but I think there should be a little more, even just on, on the Django site itself, like this is something also working with some people, you know, listing, here's other people who contributed to the most recent version, for example, like Ruby on Rails does a good job of that. Um, so there's all these little things, but it, you know, it all comes down to its volunteers and everyone's busy, but, but I would say it's, it's a wonderful community. Like it's extremely welcoming. Um, you know, I'm, I fit the profile. I'm a white male, but I mean, I, I was a book editor before. So in that sense, I'm, you know, but most people come from a wide variety of backgrounds and it's really embraced by the community. And it, it was initially created in a newspaper by, mm -hmm you know, 20 somethings who two of the three were, I think, English majors um, who happened to know how to code. So it, it's not, um, you know, has its roots in being a little bit liberal artsy. Hmm. Well, nonetheless, congratulations. And uh, <laughs> I guess time, time will tell what, what exactly you got yourself into here. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm, I'm going to try to be quiet and learn and contribute in ways that I can. So nice. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a question for you about why San Francisco, if you uh, were to start over from scratch, why would you say that's the best place to go? Oh, well, I mean, it depends what you want, but I think if you want to get in tech, that's the epicenter of tech. Um, and especially if you're younger and single as I was when I went out there or without a family, um, there's just way more opportunity. Um, they're hmm. desperate for developers. You know, you can get remote jobs, but if you, get sort of stamped by, I mean, obviously a FANG company, but startups, there's just so much more opportunity, I would say. Um, and I think a lot of people have learned how to code. They've been, felt a little bit isolated doing it on their own. You go there and every single person is talking about code, if not doing it. Every single coffee shop, people are coding or there's VCs happening. So it's just like in the water. So it's mm -hmm. a great thing to experience that. And I think it's really um, energizing the first year or two or three. Um, and then you can kind of decide what you want to do with that. I mean, I, I remember when I was there, I was like, where are the 30 something programmers? You know, because everyone, it's California has this sort of youth complex where it mythologizes, you know, being young. But, um, you know, for a lot of engineers, there isn't a steady path the way there are in other professions. You know, like a doctor, you know, you've been training for a while and then you're like doctoring for decades. You know, a lot of engineers, I mean, the average age at Facebook and Google is, I think, 26. Hmm. Maybe it's 27. The average tenure is under three years. So, you know, where do you go, right? What happens to a lot of people is you, you kind of move there, you work at some places, and then it's kind of like, okay, now you're in your late 20s, early 30s. Um, you know, it's like, there's no kind of rules at that point. You can do your own startup, you can move somewhere else. Um, so anyways, I think San Francisco is great to just experience and see what that's like. Um, you know, coming from other industries, tech is great in that it recognizes that people are valuable. I mean, I came from East Coast, old world industries where it was like, you're lucky to have a job attitude. Hmm. as opposed to like, we're lucky to have you, which is, wow. um, you know, how tech is, but especially the West Coast, because again, people move around and there's other things. I mean, I grew up in the East Coast, so, you know, out there, there's no, um, what is it? You can change jobs. That was, I forget the term, the legal thing. You can switch jobs, like no big deal. Whereas, um, a non-competes, whereas okay. still, still in Massachusetts and Boston, um, you have to fight really hard not to have a non-compete clause. And so, I mean, there's some books in economic theory that that alone caused Boston in the 70s, Route 128, was the epicenter of tech, and then it moved out to Silicon Valley. Um, and one of the main reasons is because of the lack of non-compete clauses. So everyone just bounced around companies, which is better for innovation. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So anyways, I have perspective on both sides. I love being out there. I think it's a great thing to see and do. Um, 
it just depends where you are in your career and your life. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. The uh, non-compete, I, I think that kind of goes under the radar until you're, <laughs> I, I've experienced that. I, I had that. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I've experienced that firsthand. And uh, luckily there at the time, I, I, you couldn't have told me that it was a blessing in disguise, but I had gone through a layoff and that, you know, terminated the whole thing. But yeah, uh, non-competes are, are nasty. Um, so the, so being laid off meant the non-compete was no longer valid. Yeah. The, uh, cause with ConocoPhillips, the oil company, I mean the, you know, they're, they're already laying you off. Uh, they're not going to say like, Hey, you can't, you can't work here too, <laughs> or in, in the area, oh, you know? Well, yeah. Well, anyways, sometimes that worked out like for you. That, I guess, or? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have an MBA. I came from a business background. I mean, they're going to go for as much control as they can exert over you. Hmm. Um, wow. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild, man. I don't, I don't know if I, uh, if, I, if I had it my way, I probably wouldn't sign another one again. But, I mean, it's hard. It's like a position said. of privilege to be able to say that. Yeah, I mean, personally, yeah. like, I don't do NDAs. I don't do non-competes. But I also kind of do my own thing. Um, it's, yeah, I know it's, it, I mean, it's, there's a lot of effort by people in the, in Boston area. Cause Boston is number, you know, top three, top five, uh, tech centers. And yet, um, uh, people see that's being held back and that, you know, there's a bunch of big companies that have lobbying money. And, um, I don't think they've been able to, uh, repeal it, even though they're trying to, hmm. um, seems obvious for everyone, but the like couple folks in charge that it would be a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I had a question when learning to write code for the web, what would be the best tool you, you recommend we pick up? Like when we're just starting out type thing? Well, I mean, I think my resources are good. <laughs> um, I think if it is, it's really is a pyramid of knowledge. You need okay. to, I think this, is the, the challenge is like, it's like saying, oh, I want to climb that mountain. It's like, okay, well, here are the, here are the steps. So for, for web, um, so first off, you have to know how to type. Right, you have to have a basic, basic um, fluency with typing, which a lot of people don't actually. Otherwise, you're just gonna so learn how to type. Typingclub.com. Um, it's really hard to do it without your own dedicated computer. Um, you know, I see this especially in the K-12 or people. You know, people on Chromebooks or uh, without your own computer, it's gonna be really hard. Um, there are web tools. But really, I would say start with, you, what you want to do is you want to see progress and you want to have aha moments. So like when I've taught this, I taught this at Williams College and, um, you know, and now in various capacities, I always try to give easy wins. So I'll start with HTML and CSS. Like I'll usually show something like I'll deface the New York Times, right? I'll inspect element and go check this out, right? And people, you know, we forget who've been doing it for a while. That's mind blowing, right? right? When you make the headline and be like, high class or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then start with basic sites, deploy them. Uh, I'm a big fan of Netlify, which has a drag drop. Um, just get these quick wins that can be shared. You know, JavaScript, I love JavaScript. I don't know if you need to tackle that next. I think um, the next thing is probably, so what do you need to learn Django? You need to like a little bit of Python. I don't think there's debates on this. I don't think you need that much. You need to know a little bit about classes, inheritance, um, but I'm a big fan of just dive in and just sort of copy and get stuff working. So in my, you know, my Django for Beginners book, you do five different websites and you start off with Hello World and you build it and deploy it. And you don't understand everything that's going on, but you get something up there that you can share. And now we add a little more complexity. Now we add in the database, then we add in authentication. Um, so just layer it up. 
but the hard thing is you just have to build stuff. I mean, because if you think about a website, it's, you know, it's HTML, CSS, Python, it's databases, it's SQL, it's security. I mean, it, it's, I think a lot about how would I do that in a linear way? And I think the best way is just to build stuff. Um, so yeah, it's a long-term question for me. I, you know, I think some people really love diving into the details of, of Python and the programming language and printing out, you know, Christmas trees and all the stuff you do in computer science courses. But most people want, are learning to program because they want to build something. And right. so I think leading with that and then backfilling is a fine approach. Um, and that extends, I don't know. I actually, I don't know how familiar are you with Django itself? Uh, I've worked with it a little bit. Uh, I've definitely hammered a little more on the Flask side of things. Okay, good. We can talk about that. Well, so in Django, yeah. there's um, specifically, uh, there's class-based views and there's function-based views. Okay. And so for, for people listening, so that's where the logic, or well, that's where the logic can be in a Django um, website. It comes into the URL, which puts it to a view, which connects with the model and a template, and you can do logic. Um, uh, so there's class-based views, which of you know you can inherit um, in subclasses. There's a tiny amount of code that you can use, so it's really elegant. But the problem is, it's a little bit of magic. Whereas a function-based view is more Flask-like, where you're building it all from scratch, but it's a lot of it's a lot more code, and you're reusing a lot of the things. So when I teach, I actually like to start with class-based views because with just one or two lines in a view, we can get what we want, and then later show how to do a function-based view, and then as the last step, show how you can uh, customize the class-based view. So again, have a tiny amount of code, but doing it with the knowledge of, oh, I see the 40 lines of code that are in there, and now I can pick the one that I want. So I still write three lines of code instead of you know, 40. Um, mm. But that'd be a good example of, I just want people to get the feeling of like it working. Um, because really, to me, like for a beginner, everything is magic. Like, right. like developers often say, oh, I, I don't like, you know, Django or this or that because it's magic. It's like everything is magic, right? If we push low enough, everything is an abstraction. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I think I try to like let people build cool stuff. Yeah. No, I love that in typing. That hasn't come up yet since I've been doing this podcast. And uh, yeah, I mean, it makes, a, it makes a lot of sense. Like you're going to be doing this the rest of your uh, coding career. So maybe, maybe consider, uh, you know, getting good at typing. Yeah, well, and even um, like I launched recently, um, you know, installing Python. So I have a site, installpython3.com, mm -hmm. which has guides for Mac, Windows, Linux, and Chromebook. But if you ask a total beginner to install Python 3 or Python, it's actually very non-trivial. Um, and the challenge is that there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, you can go to python.org and download the bundle. But what if I want different versions? Oh, now I'm into path variables. That's like, you know, that's scary stuff. Yeah. Um, or you could, in a Mac, you could use Homebrew. Windows just launched um, Python 3.7, 3.8 in the App Store. Um, Chromebooks, anyways, are having changes in how they do it. Um, it's easy to forget these little steps that I think looks like scar tissue, you sort of move on and virtual environments, right? That's a total cluster that, that for was people. A, I, I can't even tell you how long, it, it's almost embarrassing to talk about right now, but like the virtual environment concept took me forever. I... Yeah, and it's I'm, and there's a lot of why, ways to but... do it. There's a lot of ways mm -hmm. to do it. I think I think the problem is that, you know, the way I would describe it is different to a fellow experienced Python programmer as I would to a beginner. A beginner wants it to work, but an engineer wants to say, well, there's five different ways to do this, and here's the pros and cons, and this and that. And really, what you want is someone to say, okay, here's a way that works that is accurate enough that'll get you going. I think. Right. Um, and so I've had 
posts on this on my personal site for a while to get pretty good traffic. And so I built this site, again, just with that idea in mind, because I mean, virtual environments, I mean, it's sort of nuts if you think about it, like, how are we supposed to do it? It's like, well, there's, you know, PyEnv, there's virtual env wrapper, there's pipenv, um, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's not necessarily agreement. You just need to pick one and go with it and explain to people, where do you store them? Do you store them in a global dot virtual ends um, directory? Do you store them in the directory you're in? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens is someone, you know, reads a bunch of different things and does a bunch of different stuff. And now their path variables messed up. Now they've got multiple installs and they, you know, they, they don't really know what to do. Um, and I, I did that when I was learning, <laughs> like I had a totally messed up path and I can relate, but I also, if someone is, you know, asking me over email or something for help with that, I'm sort of like, you know, if I was sitting there with you, I could do it. I right. really don't want, uh, but, you know, you almost need to wipe your computer and start over. Yeah. Bash, it's a bash files. But it's, but it's, you know, but it is, it's a big um, challenge for Python. I think, you know, the two, yeah. uh, uh, Russell Keith McGee, who's based in the Django world, gave the keynote at PyCon this year and his real, um, his focus was on uh, bundling, how it's really problematic in Python. Um, and Wasm is going to come in. But I think also just the installing code is it's really n- nonsense <laughs> if you think about it compared to like JavaScript, right? right. Where you can just use it. Um, so anyway, so the install Python 3 uh, site, I hope to grow into, you know, a, a good resource that just gets people up and going on four different platforms, explains virtual environments, um, but doesn't overwhelm them because a lot of people have messed up path variables and that's just like an abyss for a beginner. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'll definitely be including that in on uh, the, res- the resources uh, that I recommend. Because I, I mean, I personally just had so much trouble with it. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it's, it's frustrating to me that it's not just a settled matter. I mean, I right. talk pretty regularly to, you know, experienced devs and, and they all do it a little bit differently. Um, but you know that complexity doesn't help a beginner or an intermediate person. Yeah. Which which setup do you use, by the way? What do you use for your virtual environment? So I've been so I I like to use uh, just regular Vim mm-hmm. uh, when I, when I am using them. I have been experimenting with using Docker to just kind of like mm-hmm. eradicate this whole thing. But yeah. that has some issues of its own too. Yeah. So I use um, so my most recent book, um, Django for Professionals. I do it all in Docker. Partly because okay. I didn't want to deal with <laughs> that issues. And I personally use Docker for my projects, but it is a little bit of a bazooka for like <laughs> a fly. Uh, but it really does solve these things, especially if you need to install connecting to a database. Um, and certainly in a team environment, I think that's where J- uh, Docker really shines in a team environment where hmm. getting the local dev set up the same. Um, it's such a nightmare to do otherwise. Yeah. Uh, but again, I, I almost, I've been, I've been asked actually to include a Docker section um, on that site. Um, maybe I will. I don't know. I mean, you know, because then you get into like Alpine versus Slim versus Full. And, right. Um, yeah, before you know, you know it, your, your Alpine might as well be a Slim, you know, like with all the things. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, what it comes down to in the, in the Django world is um, Alpine is great, except that it doesn't have, um, it doesn't work with, uh, PsychoPG2, which is the database binder to Postgres. Right. Um, so you need Slim. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's getting better, at least I would say. I mean, so Vemv is um, in, installed by default in Python 3.3 and up. And, um, but yeah, 
there's lots of different ways to do it. I think it's a it's a problem for the um, problem for Python, but people are working on it. Yeah, that's that's good news, and it sounds like you're. So that's one thing uh, we can just touch on here real quick. Uh, that that I enjoyed about the resources that you provide, it's they're all they're all living basically. So <laughs> when you buy, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, uh, as opposed to like buying. I mean, I I like buying the hard copy of things and holding mm-hmm. on to it. But I mean, you and I both know it's just stuff changes so fast. So that's kind of one of the perks of going with your resources as they're they're living, right? It, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm um, I'm actually dwindling down to try to focus on like a core number of resources that I can commit to keeping uh, up to date because I'm at the point now where I have almost like this parachute of updating things I've already done, which is a good, you know, it's, it's like technical debt. It's a good problem to have because it means things are growing, but it is mm-hmm. a little bit of a drag to do. Um, yeah. But I do keep all my stuff up to date. Um, Django 3.0 just came out. So I'm updating all my tutorials and books for that right now, um, which can feel like a drag, but I try to choose to think of it as like a, a chance to like revisit and uh, constantly improve the content. Um, right. Most people who are doing this uh, don't do that because they just write a blog post or something or a book and then it's a lot of work to do. So the unglamorous stuff sometimes pays off and I think it does help me refine and improve how I um, do it. But to your larger point, um, you know, in the show notes, I, I am working on a dedicated Django site to have all my things together um, that's not out yet. Um, but I think long-term I'm going to move towards having that and, you know, I'll have print versions for people who want that. Um, but probably not eBooks or Kindle, just have it all web. So it's always up to date. Um, because yeah, even right now, like I'm updating all my stuff for 3.0 and I have to update it in all these different areas and it's, it's not a good use of my time. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, I hear you. Or for people, you know, I like today I got half dozen thing of people, commenting on something with Django REST framework, which is how you build APIs. And there was a change there. And it's one tiny thing um, doesn't quite work anymore. And, you know, I updated this two months ago, but they bought the book more than two months ago. Um, So, you know, it's like these little things like that, right? That can sort of drive you nuts, but I'm like, I'm working on it. So I'm going to have this dedicated online uh, Django site soon. Excellent. Yeah, we look forward to, to seeing that. Uh, so is, when it comes to the, like the Pareto, uh, like the 80, 20 rule with web mm-hmm. development, what, what should we kind of like, what would not take much effort that would solve that 80% you think, or did we already kind of cover that with, uh, what you were talking about before? Who, who's we like, uh, uh, ju- just, uh, recently we were talking about like learning how to type and then, um, Oh yeah. Well, I think. So I think the, I, I see it as like, there's a bunch of like, um, uh, what's the word there, you know, big, big steps along the way where you, you know, so you start off and you don't understand anything and then you start to, you start off copying and then you learn a little bit of theory about how this net works, but then you start to see the patterns. Um, and you see, Oh, I see how I'm just kind of doing the same thing over and over again, which is what people think when they build web frameworks from scratch. But then I think the last piece is to sort of, you know, last stage of learning is sort of forget a, uh, that a little bit and just be a little more free form, which is why I love talking to beginners because they'll ask me like crazy questions because they have no context for, <laughs> mm-hmm. for things. But I think, I think with web stuff, you, once you understand CRUD and auth and foreign keys, if you think about it, you're 80% of the way there. So one of the things I'm going to build is show like, here's, you know, here's a Facebook clone, here's a Twitter clone, here's a Instagram clone. Um, 
in my head, it's very clear how those are 90% the same code base, but they seem wildly different to a beginner. Um, and I think, so I think getting to that stage where you've built enough CRUD apps, you start to see the patterns and you can say like, so in Django's case, there's two types of views. There's a list view, so list all the things, so list all the blog posts, for example, and there's a detail view, show an individual one. So you'd have, you know, example.com, boom, list all of them. And then for each one, so example.com, you know, slash one or, or the slug, which would be the name. Um, but that's kind of it. If you think about any site, everything is CRUD plus auth. And mm -hmm. so when I think about a site or when I'm talking to another experienced developer, I'm jumping right to the schema, to the models. And there it's like, is it a one-to-one -one relationship? Is it one-to-many or many-to-many? -many? And that's really the thing. Once you see those, there's only three ways you can connect to the databases. It's all CRUD and it's all going to be a list view or a detail view. It's sort of like a waterfall. Everything flows from there. Um, so I think that's kind of the, and I'm going to build, you know, quick clones of these for people. Because I think the, maybe the last point is, it's hard to understand what a prototype is if you're not an experienced developer, right? So you'll hear things like, oh, I, so-and-so built, built the prototype in a weekend. Or someone will say, oh, yeah, I built a clone of something or other quickly. That doesn't make any sense when you're starting out. Could you think, well, how could you possibly clone Facebook or Instagram? Right. And it's like, well, I made all these shortcuts, basically. Or, well, basically, it's like, I could build a version that works for like a thousand people, but if we're talking a million, that's a whole different bag. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the tricky thing is usually what they're talking about, um, scaling. Scaling is why companies have you know, a lot of engineers, but just a quick thing that'll handle hundreds, thousands of people. I mean, you can basically, you know, you can do that pretty fast with, especially with Django. Um, so anyways, that's a little bit rambling, but I think I, I'd like to do a talk on that actually that, you know, CRUD plus auth and then explain, you know, uh, foreign foreign keys and and you're really there and then you can just jump to the schema and then you see the waterfall if you understand how the views and the urls and the templates all flow together um but maybe that's the you know last last bit is uh you know when you see the patterns you you sort of know where to focus and where not to focus so when you're a beginner like if there's like a typo or one little thing is off you just go oh my god right and you can spend hours or days mm -hmm. but with experience Certainly you know guilty. yeah i mean everyone does it right i mean yeah so now i'm you know, I'm reasonably good at finding errors in people who do stuff because you know what? I have all this scar tissue. It's not that I'm any smarter, believe me. It's that I've seen it probably a hundred times more. Mm. Um, so yeah, anyway, so I'm experience. trying to get people to see that, that mindset where it's, um, you know, crud auth, foreign keys. And, and I think really just maybe build 10 different, you know, clones of stuff and see how they're all similar. And then you can start to layer on, well, here's, how scaling gets in performance becomes an issue. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I do, and I do a bunch of that in the um, uh, my most recent book, Jenga for Professionals. So there's three books: Beginners, APIs, and Professionals. Professionals taps into all that and sort of explains, you know, here's these security things you probably want to do at scale and performance. Um, but yeah, it's really about figuring out how to layer it and do it in a linear way so you don't just like overwhelm someone. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So and maybe we kind of touched on this already with kind of what you left out of that, uh, that answer was, um, so was the 20%, uh, well, let me ask it this way. Um, what do you think is overly difficult in web development that would be probably good to stay away from, at least like at the beginning? Huh. Um, well, deployment, deployment is hard. Uh, I think you lose a lot of time in deployment. Mm. So that one comes to mind. I mean, I'm certainly guilty of this. I'm a huge fan of platforms as a service when you're starting out and probably even 
in a lot of cases. I think they get you a lot of the way there. So that would be like Heroku, um, other ones like that. I think they're great. I mean, I think it's really fun to spin up a $5 box from DigitalOcean Digital or Linode or, or what have you and learn how to really engineer it. But it's a little bit of a trap because it feels good and it's fun and it's really granular. But I've personally lost weeks fiddling around with, you know, my own servers when I should have just tossed it on Heroku and not worried about it. Right. Um, so I would say that I would say that would be, yeah, deployment. I mean, the other thing that's the 20% of the people don't do that they should is testing. Um, mm. No one ever tests enough. Um, and Django, so I'm working on a course on testing in Django because I think it's also a thing where if you've done it a lot, it's kind of boring. You sort of write the same test over and over and over again. You have your views, test your models, test, you know. But if you're starting out, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, where, where, where can I see good tests? It's hard to see good open source coding tests that isn't thousands and thousands of lines and really overwhelming. Hmm. Um, uh, what would be the last one? I don't know. And I guess starting off, how do you start a new project? There's certain things you have to do every time. Like, you need to set up authentication, you need to configure your database. So in the Django world, there's a really popular project called Django Cookie Cutter, which is fantastic, but it's very full featured. And I bet most people who use it don't know what's going on. <laughs> so no. like I have a project called Django X, um, which is I think the second most popular, but anyways, up there, which is deliberately s simpler, but gives you authentication, gives you a whole bunch of stuff, um, gives you custom user models, uh, so I don't know. That's so it's like overreaching for your tools. Um, but but most Django developers don't. The thing is too, when you're learning all the things you're doing, like starting projects from scratch, dealing with deployment, professional developers don't deal with that. Like there's teams. You're very siloed. Mm. Um, so you're on the one hand, you know a lot about a little area, but then you know if you hire someone from Google to come to your startup, well they're not going to know how to do that. I mean they they could probably figure it out, right? Because they got a job at Google, but that's not what they're doing day to day. Mm. Um, so I think uh, the more I progress in programming, the more I just accept and I'm fine with the, fa the fact that it's super fractal and I'm never going to know everything and um, everyone has their blind spots. But, you know, I approach it more with the attitude of like, well, I could figure it out, right? right? Rather than like, you know, when you're learning, you get stumped on something, you're just like, oh, it's me. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm not good enough. And it's like, oh, it's a typo, right? Like I sort of know enough at this point that... Um, and I guess maybe too, like, you know, like learning how to ask for help, like that's a big one, you know, so knowing mm -hmm. when have I exhausted my own resources, right? So like, look at it, stare at it, take a walk, sleep on it, um, check Stack Overflow, check Google, um, sort of understanding when you're really stuck versus not. Yeah. Um, that, and, now, and now I have, you know, you can ask people. So actually Django has a new thing. They've got a Django forum, forum, I think forum, not forums.djangoproject.com. Um, but that's, that's really a skill, right? Like if you look at knowing how to look at error messages and find just what you want. And unfortunately that one is just, you just need reps at it. Um, so yeah. pain. <laughs> get, kind of getting back to your whole, like get, get these projects under your belt, like build five projects, like what you're talking about and, uh, see some progress and probably run into some errors in the meantime and just get exposed to it. Get some reps. Like you're saying. I think so. I mean, I think why do people want to, uh, learn Django or learn Python. They want to build something. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's the majority of people. It's, it's a means to an end. And um, yeah. you know, there's a small number of people who just love the details and God bless them. But um, that comes later for most people. Like I see that right. now. Like I, now I, 
you know, in some ways I've, I've, it's not that web development is boring, but like I kind of get in broad strokes. So when I see something very elegant or very optimized, I go, Oh, like that kind of gets me excited now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but you know, that's, that doesn't matter when you're starting out. I think people just want it to work. Yeah. No, I, I could, uh, I could agree with that. That's, that's kind of like the premise for this whole podcast. Cause I think it's so easy for people to kind of get into the, uh, like, like kind of lose sight of like, what's going on here. We're trying to make money with our Python skills. We're trying to monetize this. And, uh, yeah. So everything you're saying, I'm, I'm totally resonating with there. Yeah. Well, I, I know, I think it's interesting. I mean, I found coming from the business side to the coding side and there are these different mindsets, um, you know, like where, like, I love that engineers, you know, and I feel this, like, I want to over-engineer things and polish them. But at the same time, you just got to ship stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of, you know, it's a little bit of an introverted profession. It also feels better to, like, you know, slowly increment things versus talk to users and all these things. But hmm. at the end of the day, like, I think uh, Ryan Dahl, has, uh, who created Node.js, has, I think, my favorite quote on programming, which is, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the user experience in any programming language framework that's all that matters, what the end user sees. And I think that's really true, but it's easy to get lost in the details. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful right there. Because what's not being said is they don't care, they don't care what language you used or any of this. No, nope. no. Nope. It's uh, the, lose the religion. <laughs> but we, yeah. we, you know, we, love, we love our tools too, but you know. Yeah, but why are you, yeah, why are you, <laughs> sort of like, why are you doing anything? Um, yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, I guess uh, my other favorite quote is uh, Linus Torvalds of, uh, of Linux, who he said, if um, there's three levels, if you need more than three levels of indentation, you're screwed anyway and should fix your program. <laughs> so there are these, you know, things, when things get complex, it's sometimes worth going like, huh, why is that complex? Yeah. Um, I mean, so, you know, and this is, I think, you know, the more I do this, the more simple vanilla answers are the most powerful. Um, and that also stays with, extends to, um, to frameworks where uh, people with Django or Rails um, get in trouble when they fight the framework. Um, and you, you know, you think you're special and no one's ever had this need before, but y- you are not special. Someone has had that need before. Mm. Stay within your lane. If you don't, it'll be hard to hire people to, you know, next, the next developer working out won't understand what's going on. You'll get behind on versions. Um, it's really a power to stay Simple, and I mean, like Instagram's still running basically vanilla Django. Hmm. Um, I could dive deeper on that. Um, like uh, for Rails, Shopify and GitHub are now on vanilla Rails. For a time, they're off on their own forks. But there's a strength in being simple and vanilla. And you know, the web, the things that differentiate you are not these core level things. It's like a different domain space. Maybe the UI is a bit different. It shouldn't be, you know, how you're connecting. To the database hmm. yeah man that's that's uh i i'm i'm certainly enjoying uh your insight here hopefully hopefully everyone else is too uh, <laughs> well i have thoughts yeah this no this is excellent uh i'm curious what are your uh three favorite resources for writing code properly uh like what you you mean like that i refer to or that i use uh do, How do you I, mean by I guess just in in general uh I, you had mentioned something along the lines of uh, at one point in your life in, um, in the pre-interview, you were talking about how learning to write uh, code properly was kind of, it, it was one of your quantum leaps. And so that's what I was kind of trying to tie. Back oh, okay. To. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think using lint, so using a formatter, I mean, just the basic, you know, using a, a good text editor, um, using, I like black for Python these days, which is very okay. opinionated. Um, I mean, that's a big one and that sort of frees you up from worrying about typos and silly things. Uh, you know, cause your, your text editor will, will color code it for you when you miss stuff. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, clean code. I mean, it is a little strange if you think about code in that, you know, if you want to be a writer, you can read all the best novels out there. It's right there. But if you want to, but like, where can I see the best code written for Python or Django? Um, it's harder. It's quite a bit harder actually. Um, Hmm. So, I so for for Django, for example, like I, I maintain there's an awesome Django repo where I list to a bunch of open source projects that um, are prominent and have really nice code. And there's not that many of them. There are some, but I think the problem is that they mean more to experienced developers than beginners. The problem is there isn't uh, a lot of clean code for beginners. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. I've, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not direct, I feel like I'm not directly answering the question. I mean, how do you find clean code? I mean, I think you need to go on GitHub, follow people who you admire, um, try to look at open source projects, uh, and just know that when you're starting out, it's all just going to be overwhelming. But try to find smaller things um, that you can look at. I mean, I would love to. You know, I would love to get five different Django experts and all build a basic blog, and like, cause we'd all do it differently. Like, mm-hmm. I think that would be incredibly educational for people to see. Um, and this actually is a talk I might give next year about uh, Django as a choose your own adventure, because there's all these choices you have to make even for a simple blog site. Um, and some matter and some don't. Like some are just decisions you have to make um, around kind of where you put the code and some are like architecture level decisions that are a lot harder to back out of. Um, and that's again, something that I think with experience you can see, but you probably won't understand that when you're starting out. And I certainly didn't have that kind of, those kind of goalposts um, as a beginner. So yeah, I don't know. I guess the overall thing is I would say simple code is the best code. <laughs> like when I see something that's really complex, like a huge long view, uh, you know, view, a lot of lines of code, I'm not going, wow, that's a, you know, rock star programmer. I'm going, hmm, I don't know about that. But that just comes with practice and experience and confidence, right? Like when you're starting out, it's you're just like, wow, like that's so complex. I could never do that. And now I'm like, I don't know if that was the right choice. Hmm. Um, but I think everyone, everyone's eye is different too. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of elegant, concise code. Um, but yeah, I don't know, a little bit like, I mean, you know, again, you see it's code is like writing. I mean, it is writing. Um, it's just that you can be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, which is frustrating when you're starting out, but the older yeah. I get, it's sort of nice because the world is not black and white, but, you know, code kind of is. Like, any bug I'm having, sometimes I want to, like, throw at my computer, but I have to remember, like, I, it's solvable. It will be solved. Yeah. You know, there's other things in the world that are not going to be solved, but this thing will be solved. And so there's something kind of beautiful about that, actually. Yeah, heck yeah. Where would you be doing that talk uh, at PyCon or DjangoCon or where would you be? Uh, doing probably that? at DjangoCon. So I've spoken. Okay. Um, I've spoken the last two DjangoCons. Um, uh, yeah, probably at DjangoCon. There's, so there's there's th- now three main DjangoCon conferences, and actually all these talks are online. Um, they're unbelievable resources that no one looks at. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, you look at the view counts; it's it's so small, and this is just amazing. Crazy. Um, so it's DjangoCon US, DjangoCon Europe, and next year for the first time is DjangoCon Africa. Um, 
Yeah, PyCon. I think I missed. I thought about doing one for PyCon next year, um, but I miss. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm having uh, my my wife and I are having our third kid, um, so that's going to take precedence over some of that stuff. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so, what are three tips you have for uh, people to make money with with Django? Mm. Well, so yeah, make money with Django. I guess it depends what, how, you know, as, as like an entrepreneur or as a programmer? Oh, I, or just, just open are, field. Yeah. Whatever, whatever comes to mind, I guess. I mean, yeah, I, well, you're going to, um, so Django, if you want to get a good salary as a developer, Django is a great choice. Okay. Um, because Python, uh, pays pretty well. Django, if you learn Django, you'll learn web development. You can slot into a lot of companies that are existing and there's a lot of companies anecdotally that are switching over to python stacks from java or .net um, because the tools are better and they can't hire people under 40 <laughs> for these things anyways hmm. um, so just learning django you should be able to get a decent job and how do you find a job i would say you should have projects to point to so i mean i did a, ho a whole bunch of hiring for quizlet um, i've done done it off and on um, whiteboarding may happen, but it's so much stronger to have code you can point to and discuss and someone can look at. Like the best interviews are when you can say, like, let's look at the code together and talk me through your architectural decisions. Um, so, so learn Django if you want to just like get a job. Um, there's such an opportunity to put web and Django into domains that have no technology. So... I mean, I was just at a hospital, you know, health, healthcare, I, I don't know, like the most unsexy things you can think of. There's mm -hmm. just low hanging fruit everywhere to put things online with forms and list views and detail views and models. So if somebody has experience in another field and they can sprinkle a little bit of web knowledge on top of that, I think that's a huge uh, opportunity. And you don't have to do rocket science with your web stuff. Um, so having domain knowledge. Um, and then payments, yeah, I mean, uh, Stripe is a fantastic option for pay payment processors. Um, I've written some stuff on that. You can see how to do that in Django for Professionals. Um, awesome. Yeah, I, I know. I think the biggest thing is like applying Django and web development in non-technical spaces. I think that's, I think if you can, you know, if hmm. you think of it as like a Venn diagram, right? It's like way easier to be top 60% in two things than top 99% in one. And um that's really where most things come out is, you know, either building it or being in a, in a community or in a corporation and just understanding just basic stuff that a lot of people don't um, will help. So yeah, I would probably learn Django and I'd probably try to work. Maybe not if I was going to do a startup, it wouldn't be like a tech startup. It would be partnering with someone in a domain and uh, there's just so much low hanging fruit there. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh I, I never thought of it that way, but I am definitely digging your abundance mindset. There's, uh, <laughs> there's no, no excuse to not get involved with this uh, if you kind of have a, a passion for building things with code is kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's a fantastic time because it used to be like, you couldn't, it was expensive to have a computer, you had these thick books, it was, the languages were not very accessible. The frameworks were not as accessible. I mean, it's really accessible now. Anyone can do it, and yet nobody has done it with all these all these areas. Um, you know, from an educational standpoint, it's incredibly exciting to me because there is no like curriculum really for high school coding, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
there's all these things that need to come into place that are coming into place right now. Um, and who's deciding it? Just people who's, who are doing it, right? So, yeah. uh, so that's really exciting. I mean, just in the Python world, I mean, async, which came in with 3.5, the entire web stack is being rebuilt to support async natively. Um, you know, I could go <laughs> as deep as you want on this, but like, for example, Django 3.0, what mm-hmm. makes it 3.0 is Django starting to add native async capabilities. So this will okay. mean that Python framework can be just as fast, if not faster than Node or Go. Um, it's already built into language. It's being built into Django, but it requires rebuilding the entire stack because you can't just add it on. So starting with uh, the, the webs, uh, WSGI, Web Server Gateway Interface, there's something called ASCII, which is the async. Then you can have async views, models, um, you know, I don't know if you do templates, but the whole stack, um, even um, uh, requests, right? Requests is a pretty popular library mm. for Python. Um, there's a man named Tom Christie who wrote Django REST framework, among other things. Uh, he is working on HTTPX, which is basically like request three, but it's with native async support built in. Mm. So yeah, so just from that standpoint, it's like it's an incredibly exciting time like these things are being happening and once they're built people are going to use them it's not like we're not always going to have async added to python right this is like a one-time thing right. and so hmm. there's a chance to build all the tooling around it and so anyways i can see like httpx that's what everyone's gonna be using in two three years um hmm. and you know if you want to help tom out like he'll take pull requests <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh uh i i hear that kind of especially from well, I try not to be uh, religious about things, but I have run into some scenarios where it's like the Node.js people are like, oh, that Python web framework garbage, like async all the way. And, but it's, it's yeah. almost like um, not, a, not a real thing, like is kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, or, or is it? I, I, yeah, it's. I, I mean, I've used, I've used, I've, I've, I spent a couple of years building, you know, Node.js stuff. Um, yeah. I loved, so what would I say? So the language isn't slowing down your website. That's what I would say. It's not even your framework. <laughs> I love it's, it. <laughs> it's really not. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's your database connection, sharding, all these things. That yeah. is not the problem. Even within that, um, you know, can you make an argument that Python is, you know, what are your benchmarks? Benchmarks are all over the place. You know, okay, it's not the programming language, but with this async built in, it's just going to be like a no-brainer. It's as fast, if not faster, and I mean, the crazy thing about JavaScript in Node is that everyone uses Express, which is a micro framework. Like, how do you test a JavaScript application? I mean, I don't know how many Express apps, Node apps you've looked at, but they all are architected completely differently. It's a total shit show, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not productive, it's not helpful, and it, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a drag on the ecosystem. Why isn't there a batteries included JavaScript framework, I wonder? Like, hmm. that's crazy. Whereas if you use Django or Rails or even Flask, but especially Django, it's just like the, the projects are going to look the same. Testing is built in. Like, you just don't have to worry about this stuff. Hmm. Um, and as an engineer, it feels nice to like fiddle with the little knobs, but like it's all kind of the same. And anyways, it's exciting that, you know, even the people building this stuff for Django and for, for Python, like most apps are not going to need async. Um, is the reality, right? Like WebSockets hmm. has been around for a while, HTTP2, like it's, but the thing is, is like, it's not being used, right? Like how many truly real-time chats or games or monitoring systems do you need? Like, you don't, you're probably not going to need that. Uh, maybe at some point this will change, but 
it turns out like it's here and we haven't needed it. <laughs> so it's great <laughs> that Python is and Django is building this in so it won't even be an issue, right? Like so the business person can can't say that. They can't say up, you know, node and go or faster or have async. Like Python has it. Yeah. Um, and from a so business from a business point of view, it's it's almost like lower risk if if you go the Django route because you've got all these like Python is like the 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 curiosity in the language is like a vertical line, you know, compared to these other programming languages and it's uh, Python JavaScript is everything by a mile. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and JavaScript is doesn't have these installation issues, doesn't have these um, uh, packaging issues that Python has, but um, Hmm. But, but, you know, but I mean, the, it's an interesting thing too around that I picked up at PyCon this year, which is that, you know, Python 2 and 3, so Python 2 is going away, uh, support's going away at the end of this year. But yep. Python 3 has been around for 10 years, right? I mean, it's really, the only reason that was called that is because there were some breaking changes. Um, but, you know, that's because sort of scared some people off. But like older PyCons were all about like web stuff. But what happened with the shift to 3 and with adding things like, uh, um, you know, being able to tap into to see uh, areas and do async things is you now have data sciences, data science using Python, and that's really where all the excitement is. So a lot of that actually dragged Python three and, and Python, you know, into the future because you had this whole new group of people who said, "Wow, this is better than R." So that's something you know Python has that JavaScript doesn't have, right? JavaScript, like, what are the scientific libraries with JavaScript? Like, what are the data science libraries with JavaScript? Like, they don't exist. Yeah. They could exist, but they just don't, right? So Python mm. is, you know, so rich in terms of, it's not just web at all. Um, not to mention, I, th I think the syntax is, I like the syntax better. Um, but I don't know, you know, JavaScript's, I mean, you know, uh, JavaScript has some really cool ideas in there too. So, um, but, you know, JavaScript is becoming more Pythonic. Like they're adding basically list comprehensions. Um, so it's interesting to see, Hmm. Uh, they're feeding that. off of each other. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, they are. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's cool stuff. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I so I was curious actually. Uh, how can you afford to deliver so much value? Uh, you have this free podcast. You've got the free blog. Your your resources are very reasonably priced. The books that you like. How how is this possible? I mean, there's courses that are like you know two hundred dollars and boot camps and. Like, how do you do this? This is crazy. Well, thank you. Um, well, you know, that, that, <laughs> a lot of things I could say about that. Um, you know, a lot of people, so I'm motivated because I love to teach and I want to um, do it sustainably. And a lot of people want to learn this stuff. So, you know, do what, could I make mm -hmm. more working for someone else? Maybe, but I'm basically at the point of where a developer would be. Um, so, and I love doing this. So I think just the opportunity is there um, to do it. Um, I do think, you know, in terms of the content, like, so my books are $39. The content in there is, I would say, worth hundreds in terms of the time it saves people. But there's an in interesting thing where if you call something a book, you can't charge more than $40, hmm. right? Like, whereas a course can be like $500 or like videos can be way more. So for me as a content creator, I'm thinking more about moving towards courses um, and you're not being wedded to the book form. Mm -hmm. um, so I think going forward, I'll, I'll have like deep dives on different areas of Django. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've been fortunate that, as I said, the, the first book 
did pretty well. I mean, I guess maybe, well, maybe this is like, I'm self-published. So I think that's a huge, okay. huge factor because um, I have a background in publishing. Um, so, uh, you know, for eBooks, I get most of the money. Um, and for Amazon, um, I get, uh, it's 50%, it ends up being about 50% for paperback and 35% for Kindle, which is kind of <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but if you had normal book contract, you'd only get like 30% for eBooks after you earn out and um, 15 depends percent for paperback. So a lot of people think that you can't make any money selling technical books um, because they go through a traditional publisher. Um, so I think maybe that's a big reason. Um, yeah, the podcast, we have um, Django chat. I do that with Carlton Gibson, who's one of the Django fellows, one of the people um, paid to work on Django. That's really kind of a labor of love. Um, like we don't have ads. We're not directly monetizing it. I mean, I think... At some point, I'd like to point it to, you know, a dedicated Django learning resource that I'm working on. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. There's just not that many people doing it. Um, even Python, if you think about it, like how many great resources are there for Python, considering millions of people are trying to learn this stuff, right? right. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic wave that we are on right now in terms of being an educator, in terms of using the language, in terms of building these frameworks. Like it's not going to be like this forever. Um, mm. Uh, so yeah, so I don't know. I mean, my personal site gets, you know, pretty good traffic too. So, um, but I, again, I, I don't think it's me. I think it's just this wave is riding. And I think I've been lucky in a way that I was in between jobs, honestly. And it gave me the time to, to do this, which I love to do because it does take a lot of work. Like I work pretty hard. I work full time on all this. Um, and if I had a normal job, would I spend the time on this? Like, no, I wouldn't have spent the two, three years it's taken to build, build this up into what it is. Um, I certainly wouldn't do the unsexy things like updating my books and my blog posts, right? Like that's not fun, but, um, it's more fun than, you know, a normal job. <laughs> so right. I'm happy to do it. Yeah. You're, you're building, uh, you're, you're building your masterpiece. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, what am I? I'm 39 now, you know, so I'm getting up there. Like, I think <laughs> I, I'm starting to see some of the, the, the lightness of getting older. You're like, you know, mm. I don't know what the master plan is. Like, I really enjoy doing this. Um, I really enjoy, like, I've, you know, for me, the podcast, just meeting people in the community. Yeah. Um, it has been just great, like enriching um, and just interesting. So I think, you know, part of that too is just figuring out, um, you know, programming is, it's rare that, you know, programmers, we get to think all day long. Like most jobs, even if you're, even if you're like a doctor, it's a different kind of thinking, but you know, the, the fun thing is we're constantly learning. The, the frustrating thing is we're, we're, we're stepping on quicksand, right? Constantly banging our head up against the wall. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I think being, just having awareness of that and, and putting it in context of like, yeah, like everyone gets frustrated by stuff, right? Like, I mean, I have, you know, I have days today where I'm, I'm struggling with some code thing and then, you know, people are looking up to me as a Django expert and it's like, well, you know, I don't feel like an expert, but like I starting to feel what an, being an expert feels like, which is like, well, I know some things and there's a lot I don't know and I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. That's a bit rambling, but I like doing this now. You know, I hope I can continue doing it. Um, I, I honestly, I miss teaching in person. Like I really, um, I, when I was younger, I taught a lot. I taught college level. I would love to do that. The problem mm -hmm. is the economics of it are terrible. Oh, just um, how it doesn't scale like a MOOC or what? Or is that what you're talking about? It just doesn't. Or? I mean, all of it. I mean, uh, you know, like my, 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 my books are being used um, 
at a whole bunch of universities because professors email me and I've sat in in classrooms and that's fantastic. Um, but if I were going to teach a class, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, and it's, you know, it's like a couple thousand dollars for a semester long class, which if you're an experienced programmer, you can do better. Um, mm. so, you know, so, anyway, so like I would love to do more in-person stuff. I find that enriching, but it doesn't scale. Um, and on the other hand, you know, I'm at the point now where if I, you know, like for you with this podcast, right? Like, you know, more than 20 people are going to listen to it. If I write a tutorial or something, thousands and thousands of people are going to, um, do it. So the reach is there, but I think I've realized there's a little bit of the, I've lacked a little bit of the human <laughs> connection, <laughs> the human thing. Mm. Um, so, uh, so doing things like podcasts and going to conferences and stuff kind of fills all that in. And, and it's an amazing amplifier, right? What we do that we, that, you know, distribution isn't an, isn't an issue. Location isn't an issue. Um, those are like amazing things. Those have not been the case historically. Hmm. Um, so yeah, those yeah. things I think about. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I certainly uh, have to remind myself not to take that for granted. It's, it's pretty amazing. The, yeah. And I mean, anyone can do, you know, people can do a podcast, right? Like, I, I mean, you I, started this in June and yeah. you, you're telling me, you know, a lot of people are listening and you didn't have to ask anyone. You didn't have to pay a ton of money. You could just do it. Just right? go for it. And I, I'm preaching it like so loud. Like it's, it's very easy to set up and it's the perfect reason or it's the perfect way to get on amazing human schedules. Like, you know, how do you huh. like, like, Hey, let's, let's uh, talk about your business. Let's promote your good work. And then you get to have your own little tech scene if you don't work in, uh, you know, San Francisco, for example. So Yeah. Well, no, like I mean, myself. it's fun to, it's fun to talk shop. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm in Boston, but like, honestly, like I live in, I live just outside of Boston. I'm in a co-working space where most people aren't programmers. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I spend a lot of time with my kids, you know, it's, it's sort of weird to me in a way that I work in tech. Cause like, you know, everyone's staring at their computer these days. That's all anyone does, whether they're a writer or an advertising, right. It just so happens that I'm you know, doing programming and, um, yeah, it's a, you know, there's no limits on all this stuff. It's good. It's good to be reminded about this. Thank, thanks for sharing, uh, all of this. We're, we kind of like came up on our hour. I had a couple more questions. I don't know how your, your time is doing. Do I need to wrap it up here or can I kind of, uh, no, we can go. I got okay. a little more time. Cool. Yeah. I was curious, what is the big domino to knock over that will push your uh, learning Django project into the, like the, the top teaching tool that you are, are kind of aiming for, I guess, or maybe it's already become. Sorry for me or for someone who's uh, uh, for, for you specifically, uh, cause you had mentioned kind of like your three to five year plan. You're, you're really working on uh, building out this, okay. this yeah. resource. What's the big domino that, uh, uh knock I think that it's, over. Yeah. I think it's having a single place to point people to. Okay. Um, I guess I can tell people, I don't know if the site will be up by the time this comes out. So I, I have the learnjango.com domain. So my tutorials, my books, my courses, podcast, I want to, you know, I want to have it just be like, Hey, I'm, I'm William Vincent. And I, I, t if you want to learn Django, go to learnjango.com. Right. So in all these capacities, I feel like I've, I'm sp spread out, but I, it all sort of comes around to that. So I think putting okay. that in one place will be helpful. Um, and I think the thing is, I've been thinking about, it's just like, what are the risks? Like, just like, like not burning out is a key competitive advantage. Mm. Like I see people rage quitting programming or teaching 
Um, and I, you know, like last year I was, I, I had some trouble. I had some definite burnout. Like, I think it's a natural thing. Um, especially a couple years into a career because you love it and you sort of like, you just need, need to redefine why you do it. So I think that's a long way of saying, I think being consistent, um, you know, success is boring and it should hmm. be boring, right? Cause it means you're doing something that's working, but you're doing it again and again and again. So for me, you know, having a single resource, being okay with repeating myself. So being multi-channel. So just because I have a thought and I wrote it in a blog post doesn't mean I can't say it in a podcast. Doesn't mean I can't say it on, as a guest on a podcast. Doesn't mean I can't put it in a video. Maybe someone will hear that, but most people won't, right? But it's, it's not about me. It's about, you know, there's only so many good ideas I have or people have and, and, and sharing those. Um, so I think, yeah, and that's what executives do too at a company. Oh, there goes my, um, you know, when I was in management, like you just have like two or three things you say again and again and again. So I think making that shift from like, uh, you know, this is about me to like, this is about my goal, right? If it was just me, like I would just be blazing new code and new paths and I would never repeat myself. But, um, you know, but I want to share this stuff with a lot of people and I feel strongly that it could be explained better. So anyways, having a dedicated resource, <laughs> multi-channel <laughs> slash repeating myself. Um, and I think not burning myself out, honestly, because um, it's, a, it's a real risk. Um, I hmm. see that. I don't know if, if, if you've seen that with colleagues, but I, I see people who you really lose the love. And, um, and I guess part of that is open source too. Like I have a bunch of, I try to think about things in the buckets of like, this is for me and this is for them. So like, <laughs> um, you know, so I will do projects or I'll do things just because I want to. Um, and I know it doesn't make sense for my business. And right now, but I just feel like I want to do it and I can, so I just do it. Um, and at the same time, I have to do things like update my books, which is not the most interesting thing for me. It's like, okay, you know what? That's not, that's not the worst thing in the world to have to do. Um, mm. So I don't know, balancing that out. I don't know, have you, have you had any burnout issues yourself in your career? Uh, I, I, I don't know if I knew it, knew it at the time, but I've certainly like woken up at 4 a.m. being like, oh, I can't wait to like, you know, keep on writing my programs. And then there's just been yeah. times where I'm just like, get me out of here. And uh, I think that's probably like a flavor of burnout. Like you can't, if it's not sustainable, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I haven't. I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, I it's love possible. The- yeah. I mean, it's different for everyone. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it usually, um, I think, you know, if you have it, <laughs> but I think it's, the thing is it's insidious about it is it's, it's like a slow burn. Okay. You know, it's like a little, little bit thing and then wake up and you're just like, I just like the idea of writing code, um, a lot of times it comes around, around, um, lack of control and feeling helpless, um, it, you know, in your job or your, or your career. Um, but also it's just like stepping away, <laughs> you know, like, um, certainly I have this being self-employed. Like I hadn't taken a proper vacation in like three or four years. Um, and when you're, when it's just you, it's harder, harder to check out, right? Like, what am I doing in the weekend? Like, I'm still thinking about stuff. Mm. Um, so recognizing that, you know, I don't necessarily have to do, 50 hours a week in front of the computer. Um, if I'm thinking about it all the time, maybe I get more done with 40 or 30. Um, kind of th- the thing I love about code and teaching is nobody cares how many hours I spend. They just want to be good. Right. right. But that shift, like I, that's a big shift I've had to make being working for myself as opposed to an employer is shifting from time-based uh, remuneration to like uh, product. So product over process. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like, great to like sell books in the weekend when I'm not working, yeah. but it like sucks to spend six months on something and then like people don't like it. 
Hmm. So, you know, I, you know, separating yourself, like, you know, input from output, those are like life challenges. Yeah. And you had mentioned in the pre-interview that meditation is part of your daily uh, kind of non-negotiable. Oh, did uh, I mention it? Yeah. It, well, it is. Yeah. It's been I've, a while since you filled that thing out. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> a lot going on. Um, yeah. For me personally, I found it to be incredibly helpful. Um, uh, I think most people who do it would say that. Um, I think you, I think you probably, you know, for me, I just felt like my, my brain was just kind of fragged up <laughs> with 30 years and lots of responsibilities and, um, taking, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day, um, makes a big difference in a lot of ways that aren't always obvious, but um, I can feel it when I miss a, miss a session. So hmm. I'm a big advocate for it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. There, there was actually, uh, I was just looking for some clarity in the pre-interview. Um, I had asked uh, about a, a quantum leap in success that you had. And uh, you had mentioned- <laughs> What did I say? <laughs> I forget. You, so I actually, I, I copied and pasted it here because I was just like, I, I was hoping you could just kind of expand on this. You said- uh, having having children made you think deeply about your career. Uh, you left a very hot startup at in San Francisco and learned how to code properly, uh, all with an eye to an ill-formed future career in tech where I could support a family and be a present father. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a thought I would have. Um, yeah, I, I. So I think. Um, so uh, parenthood affects people differently. For me, I sort of like, I just wanted to, I just didn't see a path where I could, I wouldn't be working insane hours for the next 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. And so for example, so I left San Francisco. Um, I left the startup, I left San Francisco. I saw coding as a way that I could build a skill set to do it from anywhere and have more options. I mean, I think I probably thought I would go back, you know, I was like, it's a no lose situation because I had the ability to take time to do that um, to be a parent. And then I could always go back into like an operating, um, business kind of role, but I could also maybe do my own startup. Um, and you know, so for me, I just didn't see a path as an MBA doing all that stuff at tech where I wouldn't just be working all the time. And I couldn't think of any startup that was more important than my kids. Um, so that's but awesome. again, I, I had a position of privilege to make that choice. My wife works. We were able to take the time, but I felt like I had to do that. And even now, like I, for me, um, being able to, you know, not hate what I do and uh, have control of my schedule so I can do things with my kids is kind of the, the point of all this. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, that spurred getting into all these things and, um, you know, it's a very scary thing to do. It's a very scary thing to make a career change at any age, especially when you have a family. Um, I can certainly relate to that. Um, but I think, you know, those are, the, I've thought a lot about this recently. Those are the things that I think mm. help me um, empathize with, with beginners because I do have a non-traditional background, but most people have a non-traditional background, right? I think if I, if I'd had a straight career path, if I'd had a CS degree, um, I mean, ultimately teaching is being able to put yourself in the place of the student. Um, combined with a little bit of knowledge about what you're talking about. <laughs> so I would self-assess as I'm like, I'm a reasonable coder. Um, I'm a pretty good communicator. And I think I'm really good at empathy for, um, for my students. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think I have it on my wall here. Um, uh, hold, hold on one. Let's see here. 
uh, actually, oh, a good a a good teacher is a catalyst is uh, by an unnamed uh, author there. So a good teacher is a catalyst is what I had written on the wall. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, em- empathy is uh, super critical. I I don't know exactly what it it's like to be a beginner. That's kind of why I like picking up new programming languages. Is then that's a good way to get back in the hot seat. Yeah, and I think also, I, I, you know, I, I learned how to do this when I was in my early 30s, and I had, I'd never felt stupid before I started coding. Um, and so I didn't have the Stockholm Syndrome of blaming myself for it. I was like, wow, like, this is really just hard to do. This, yeah. this, and, then, and then once I learned how to code, I was actually kind of hangry. <laughs> I was just like, it, it just, it, in my head, it, it could have been so much better explained. Um, and I don't think I would have had that perspective if I was, you know, younger, because I would just absorbed it and then moved on. And, you know, it, and so now um, uh, I think the way I maintain that, I spend, I spend hours a day um, emailing with people and talking to people who are beginners. And, you know, maybe that's not a great use of my time in terms of I could be creating new courses. I could hire, you know, have someone to help me with that. I could just not have my email be out there, but it keeps me in touch, I think, with that beginner experience because otherwise I would lose it. Um, and, uh, and it's a different thing thinking of like a programming language because like, I mean, those are super fun too. That's sort of scratching the technical itch and seeing the patterns. Like, I think it's only really your third or fourth programming language before programming languages make sense, mm-hmm. um, I would say. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think it just comes down to, to interest. I find, I honestly find teaching to be the most interesting and challenging piece of this whole equation. Um, I think, you know, code ultimately can be solved, um, but it's just, there's such a spectrum of understanding where someone's coming from, the questions they're asking, figuring out your mastery of a subject. We can go up and down between levels, figure out exactly where to enter with someone um, don't make them feel stupid. Um, and focusing on like the fundamentals, I think makes me better at the mastery, the, the, the hard comp, hard things, because I, I don't take for granted the simple things. Like I'm asked these questions, like, you know, these just like big open gnarly novice questions that are like, huh, I never, I hadn't really thought about that, hmm. you know, cause you just don't think about some of these things. Like someone was asking me the other day, they're like, how do you know? So Django has these third party um, packages that you use. And they're like, how do you, how can you tell a good one? Like, you know, there's some good ones, or some bad ones. I can't tell. Like, how do you tell? Like, that's, that's like a really deep question, actually. <laughs> right? It's like, wow, I think about that all the time. And, hmm. and the more interesting question is, um, you know, kind of think about where I am at now with, with that and how would I explain it to someone without overwhelming them, right? Like, because where I'm personally at is I try to use as few as possible because I have a lot of scar tissue around it and I am interested in can reverse engineer most of them. So I'm very reticent personally to add a third party package. Hmm. But if you're just starting out, you just need to prototype and build something, you know, okay, sure. Use one or like, but how do you tell a good one? You know, how do you tell when something is not under active development versus something that's feature complete, right? There's some popular Django packages that haven't been updated for a year because they work and they're done. Right. Versus something where someone stepped away. Um, So in a way it it just, Hmm. It, for me, it's just like a lens on this, the same stuff where web would kind of feel all the same and a little boring. But since I get all these different takes at it, it forces me to look at it in different ways to think about how I can explain it to someone. And I find that, um, I find that interesting. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so you had also mentioned that you might, uh, 
in your three to five year plan, you're thinking maybe write another book. What would be some topics? Oh, yeah. Well, I've half written like three more books. Okay. Um, so the interesting thing for me is I, I so I, I don't know, I, I read and write a lot. Like, you know, as a book editor, like I, I don't, I don't have trouble with facility with putting words to page. It's really more like all the rest of this stuff. But yeah, I'd love to do a book on Python. Um, I think there's, I have some, some thoughts on how I do a book on Python. Um, I've, I've written most of a book on uh, algorithms and data structures because I think that's often done in a very math proofy abstract kind of way instead of a hands-on practical kind of way. Hmm. Um, and what is that? Oh, yeah, there's a third one I want to do. Um, Python book, the algorithms book. Oh, well, and honestly, like, <laughs> like long term, I find myself more and more interested in, in math, to be honest. Like I always enjoyed and liked math as a kid, but um, I think math also could just be done in a better way or, or in a way that I would understand more. And part of this is I have my kids and I'm teaching them. And um, uh, so, yeah, so, uh, well, and maybe Flask too. I mean, I have, <laughs> I have the domain Flask for beginners. I've written okay. a couple of chapters of that. Um, again, cause I don't, you know, I don't have any problem with Flask. I think Flask is great. And I think, um, you know, the, I am curious actually how you learn Flask. Like there's only really, there's like Miguel's guide and um, I don't know for books, like there's like maybe one or two videos, but there's very few actual resources. I mean, I think Miguel Greenberg's is like the only thing out there. Yeah. Right? He's sort of shockingly underserved. Yeah. He, uh, he has like possibly the best. I mean, first of all, the thing is completely free and it takes you from soup to nuts. So I really enjoyed that. Nick Janitakis has a course on flash. Oh yeah. I know Nick. Yeah. And uh, let's it's see. a video course though. Yeah, it's a video course, and that thing's pretty intense. Like, um, yeah, that's the SAS app, right? One. Yeah, that one, that yeah. one is pretty intense. And uh, there, oh, there's a PythonProgramming.net. Uh, uh, Harrison Kinsley, he does like all these. Um, oh, he's like YouTuber, right? Yeah, YouTuber guy, and he. That was my first. Like, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was like, yeah, programming the web, and and he kind of had this. His Flask was more built out than his Django one, but. Yeah, was it he's like sent sent desk or something? Sent, is sent his, decks, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and and kind of because I'm I work in the petroleum and natural gas industry, and it's more about like the data than the look and feel of things. So I've I don't know what it is, but I've always kind of gravitated more towards like the database, the API. Like mm -hmm. if if I can have a, an Excel spreadsheet that talks to an API, like I'm a happy camper. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I think that's actually you know. Um, What's a billion dollar opportunity? I think if someone can find a way to take like a Jupyter notebook or an Excel thing and, and slap on a website, um, like right there, like, yeah. because if you think about it, like it's just notebooks, databases are just kind of Excel tables in a way. Um, what are the visualizations that you would use? You know, it's like a pie chart, a bar chart, a scattergram, you know, there's only a half dozen and you're there. Mm -hmm. If there were a way to meld those worlds together, um, that's, I mean, that's what so many people want. So many people who are learning Django, you know, they're scientists or this and that. And they just want to have a web presence for stuff. I think the challenge is, you know, data is messy, right? Like what do data scientists yeah. do? You spend all your time cleaning the, the data. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's harder to, and, and I think in a Jupyter notebook context, the problem with Jupyter notebooks is they're not, um, it's not like functional. They're, they're iterative. It's like boom, 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 boom. So you, it's you can't just directly put that into like a, a script 
um, actually, in terms of an automated way. At least I'm not aware of a way you can do that because of their iterative. But but anyways, that's I think that's a such a big opportunity, and so much of it is feels framework ish to me. Um, mm-hmm. But the you know like I want to sh- show my data somehow, right? Like here in Boston, there's all these scientists doing all these things, but the problem is the data is messy. Yeah, or it's locked I, into a Jupyter notebook. So I I swim in that stuff all day. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little yeah. little passionate about the whole data management thing, just a little bit. Yeah, well, and I, I guess I would say I put a plug for, you know, I think Flask is fantastic. Um, you know, Django can do a lot of the same stuff. I think they're part of the reason why I started to understand why Flask is, um, if you go by GitHub Star, it's more popular. Um, I mean, they're about the same. Um, Flask, you can be bolted onto things more easily than Django. Like Django is like you're in the Django world, mm-hmm. whereas Flask, right? Like you can put some, you, oh, just a couple endpoints, boom, I'm going to use Flask for something. Or you're in an organization and like you're not using Python. Oh, I throw some Flask on for here. Or oh, we got to go custom because this is special. Like Django won't let you do that very easily. You reach for Flask, and then kind of once the genie's out of the bottle, then you're just in like microservices. You know, all this stuff kind of kind of land. Um, so, but I think even for Django people, I think learning Flask Flask helps you learn what Django is doing better because it is a little more manual. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to, I don't think I would do an advanced Flask book, but yeah, but I have, I mean, I've, I don't know if it's still up, but yeah, I mean, talking people through CRUD, auth, you know, build a couple sites. I think that would be helpful in Flask. Cool. It's kind of crazy that there aren't more resources, right? I mean, it's yeah. like, how does anyone learn this stuff? Yeah, it's, uh, and then when you get into the whole testing thing and stuff, it's just like, it's always kind of been, I, I'm not like, I don't, I don't really have any tests with the software that I write and it's embarrassing, uh, you know, cause that's oh my like, God. Yeah. that's not the, you know, like the, the way and, well, to you would things. think in your industry you would, or maybe you're more in the data science, I guess. Uh, yeah. The data, I, I mean, but even in data science, it would probably be a good thing to make sure that your functions are still working and stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, and here's the thing too, like if people haven't worked in companies, like open source code is always the best code. Like every company's code base is a, dumpster fire for different reasons um yeah uh, you know it, it it really is so <laughs> it's humanizing i don't say that to slag i just no. like that's the nature of, of yeah. the beast and, and i guarantee you if it's in a django context they're not on the most recent version of django there's something custom there's code somewhere that someone wrote i hope that they have test coverage but they may not um these are just the realities even at the best run companies mm. Um, yeah. So I'm appreciative of that when I write, like I, you know, I'm building stuff out, like I can make it just the way I want it. Like it's a little much, but I can cycle that into building courses and stuff. And I'm aware that I'm, you know, doing that last 10% just because it feels good, right? Like as an engineer, like if, if a manager came to you and said, hey, you know what? Like on Friday, just squash bugs or like just write tests. Like it's hard for a non-technical person to understand how like soul cleansing that is, right? <laughs> I mean, you could almost justify it as like people won't quit and leave because, you know, short term, you crack the whip. You're like, the engineer's like, oh, it's going to take two weeks for this feature. You're like, how about a week? And I ride you hard. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you'll get something done. You can only do that so many times. But, you know, if you have an outlet valve, like this is what we did. I did at Quizlet. If you said, okay, like, well, once a month, we're going to have a dedicated bug squashing day. So when an engineer comes to you and says, oh, I, you know, it puts some onus and responsibility on them because of course there's all these bugs, but it's like, okay, well prioritize it for me. Like I'm your manager. I don't know the bugs as well as you do. I'm Mm. giving you time. 
you pick the 10 most important bugs, right? So then you take ownership over it and then you have a dedicated bug squashing day and everyone's just squashing bugs all day and you like get a gong or something. And um, <laughs> it's fantastic for morale too, awesome. right? It's also because it means you're not just saying no all day long, right? Right. You're not saying <laughs> no, that doesn't matter. Like shut up nerd. You're saying, yeah, that's important. Put it in the queue. We're going to have a dedicated day. Um, I don't know. You know, these are things that it's, it's hard to explain to a non-technical person, but I think you could, if you could put it into like a cost benefit analysis, like you would lose a lot less people if you had dedicated like bug fixing days or adding hmm. test coverage days. Yeah, that's, man, but it's that's, never in the schedule. It's never in the sprint. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think we talk about that at all at our technical meetings. <laughs> yeah. But imagine, I mean, what, imagine how mind blowing that would be, right? Like a yeah. week. How about just a day? like a day, a quarter, hmm. right? And then you, all the little things, you put them in there and then you can just look at them with the team and you can just like, just feel like you're making some progress, right? Instead of just like, you know, yeah, the rest of the, it. The technical debt, it's, uh, you don't want to, I mean, anything to feel like you're not drowning in it, I guess. Is yeah, and I think that's a lot thing. of, like people leave a lot because of that, right? Like you come into a new job and for six months, yay, new code base. And then it's like, ugh, then you know all the bugs and then you fight with it for a year. And then if you're in the Bay Area, your friend's like, hey, like, let's all go somewhere else and get a big pay rise. And you ask your manager, hey, I want to get a pay bump. And like, oh, my hands are tied. And, you know, this other company offers you 20, 30% more. Hmm. Um, and so you just rinse and repeat. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's, it's rational. Yeah. But it's not great for the company, right? So it's like, well, what if you paid them more? Or what if you made it, you know, the code base better? Hmm. Like, that, that's the first thing I ask when I'm interviewing places. I'm like, what what version of Django are you on? And if hmm. it's not a, a somewhat recent or an LTS, um, it's like, well, why? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Man, that's wild. Uh, what insight do you have on, uh, on, on basically seeing a startup going from like winning to failing? Like, <laughs> like well, so yeah. Uh, well, so, so, I was, so I was the third employee at Quizlet, which arguably won quite well. It's, I don't know, top 50, maybe it's top 20 website. Um, though I left after three years. And then I had a couple of things that failed. Um, is that kind of your question? Like, what's the difference between the? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely kind of open-ended. Uh, I was just kind of like, you know, if somebody's never experienced that before, maybe when would they know how to like identify like, oh, I should jump the ship or... Uh, or, or yeah, was it so, just like something mind-blowing? You're like, oh, this is, I learned a lesson here or something. <laughs> um, so there's always problems. I think the difference is, are they high-class problems or are they like you're failing and going to die problems? So at Quizlet, we couldn't hire people fast enough. We, uh, the database was growing. Um, you know, it was sort of equally frustrating uh, in, in the moment. <laughs> but looking back on it, like those were good problems to have. You know, bad problems are you don't have any users or like the code is perfect, but like nobody, no one cares or you have a really bad manager. Um, hmm. I, so I think with all this stuff, I mean, I, even when I went into Quizlet, like I always was like, I can control my input, but so much of it is luck too. I think, you know, so don't, what's the saying? Like, don't let your successes go to your head and don't let failures go to your heart. Um, it's really hard, especially in a startup environment, like you're working long hours, you, you know, it's a small group, you feel really attached to it and you feel responsible, but you have to do what's right for you. Like ultimately you're an employee and the, the proper bosses will recognize that. Um, so like I always told people, tell me, I, I'm fine with you interviewing elsewhere. Like I actually want you to, because 
I want to know what market rate is and what we could do better. But I want you to tell me, like, give me a chance to counter, for example. Hmm. Um, but not all employers are like that. And I think it's hard when you're early in your career, you're afraid you're going to lose your job. You're, you have a non-compete, you're not in a position of strength, but you, you know, if you're a developer, you're, um, you are in a position of strength. Um, so yeah, so I don't know what, I mean, equity, even the best case equity, you know, basically like once a decade, there's a company like there was Google, then there was Facebook, maybe now there's Amazon. Um, there's only like one a decade where people more than like the top five or 10 people are multimillionaires. So, you know, get equity, but get paid. Like, don't kid yourself. Always take the cash. Most people second time around are like, yeah, I'll take equity, but I want cash. <laughs> um, okay. So I don't know. I, it's hard to say. I mean, I've never had, professionally, I've never had more fun than I did at startups, but I've never been more bummed out when like they failed and I had to fire people and, uh, you know, shut things down. So it's, it is a roller coaster. Um, you know, where I'm at professionally now, like I do think it'd be nice to join, you know, to work with a team on some stuff, but I feel like I have my own startup. So I probably would not join an early stage startup at this point, but you know, who knows? So I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful for people, but that, that's how I think about it. Um, it never feels like, you know, puppies and unicorns, like even in the best case, it always feels like a dumpster fire and you're just scrambling around, but you look back on it, you're like, wow, the site doubled. Like, um, so that was always a good test in San Francisco. You could ask people at other companies, like, wow, you guys are killing it. And be like, let me tell you about what's going on. Right. Like, I mean, success covers a lot of failures. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a fun, yeah, it's a fun environment to be in. Um, yeah. And I guess the quick takeaway again, with getting older is if you're being mistreated, just leave. Um, you know, it takes a position of privilege to say that, but when you're younger, like you're more, you know, just don't, don't try not to let yourself do that. Mm. And don't it, be blindly loyal to your employer because they're not blindly loyal <laughs> to you. They will fire you in a moment's notice. I uh, experienced that firsthand uh, with the, with the layoff. So yeah, I, no, I hear well, you. And the, and the heartbreaking thing is they, um, you know, a lot of times it's not even your boss, or your boss's boss's fault. It comes yeah. down from them, right? Like it flows downhill. So uh, it's easy to feel mad at, at your manager for saying you lied to me. I was misled. Da, da, da. But you know, they may have gotten fired too. They were dealing with imperfect information. So, yeah. um, so it still stinks, but if you can, you know, abstract away a bit, you just, treat it as it is and you meet a company that's not dysfunctional you're like wow this is this is amazing mm. like oh it's the code base yeah there's some bugs but you know it's kind of interesting you know mm. i don't know that's just the progression of all things yeah and and then uh just having this abundance mindset kind of is the reoccurring theme that i'm hearing here it's uh there's just so much so much to be thankful for and so much especially in the django world uh maybe no no reason to uh get bogged down with these uh uh, situations kind of like what you're describing? I, I, you know, try not to. I mean, I guess, yeah. and how do you get a job? I mean, the hard thing is a lot of times, you, you know, you have an NDA, you can't show code that you've done. So side projects, yeah. you know, I don't think you have to have a side project, but um, maybe if you're going to start looking for work, you might want to do one. Yeah, that's, that's pure gold. Thanks. Thanks <laughs> for sharing that. <laughs> I, I, I really do only have like a couple more questions. I know where it is going, going uh, a, a little beyond here. So, uh, I was curious um, how trusting your instincts when it, when it comes to uh, computers, how has that served you? Trusting my instincts? Yeah. Well, my instincts usually does like toss them across the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'm not sure. I mean, you mean, uh, yeah, with instincts. I don't know. I guess I would, I would try to think about like what you can control and what you can't control, right? So like you can control the effort you put into something. You can control the motivations. You really can't control the outcomes. Um, I don't know. I mean, if that's specific to computers, but. Uh, do you want me to go grant more granular, but that's generally how I, I think about stuff. Okay. Yeah. That, that works for me. Uh, there was, there was something in the pre-interview uh, you had mentioned something along the lines of uh, uh, trusting your instincts, especially when it comes to like the, the techie scene. Um, but I, I think you, you hit the, I, I think you hit the main point there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, it was so long no, ago. Yeah, it's uh I and I usually those things get filled out like last minute. So I appreciate, you know, all the the heads up with that. Um what is the best advice that you've ever received? Huh. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say the two things are like, I mean, the more you give, the more you get, for sure, especially as you get older and uh you know, Hamlet to thine own self be true. It's, it's so true. The hard thing is knowing yourself, but I think that gets easier with age, but you know, maybe this is all my meditation coming through, but, um, you know, you just trust your instincts on stuff and it feels, it feels good to help people. Um, uh, you know, it's like, if you want to be happy, make someone else happy, right? Like if you want to feel good, make someone else feel good. So mm-hmm. I do things a lot of the, teaching and other things that aren't straight remunerative, but they have real value and meaning for me and are kind of maybe in some ways why I do what I do. Cause I feel like they, they help. And that really provides me with, with, um, yeah, with, with joy about it and gets me through like the downsides and the bummers of stuff. Um, so it's really not about the code <laughs> per se. I mean, Django has a saying like, come for the code, stay for the community. Um, I think that's a great role model and it really kind of is the case. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, what are we doing? Like, we're just trying to help other humans. Um, for me, coding is a tool, a fantastic tool to do it, but it's just a tool. Um, and so I don't, you know, I also don't like <laughs> question my self-worth if I have a bug and I can't fix it, you know, like everyone has that. The, the, the type of bugs just change over time, but that feeling, the beginner mindset Right. That's, that's eternal. And actually is a real blessing to that. Mm. Um, because a lot of people lose that as they get older. Right. I mean, that's why, like, what's the joke? Like, you know, hire a programmer to like fix the printer or something. It's like, well, I don't know how to printer works, (laughs) but I know how it feels to be frustrated and to learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you sort of have to have that muscle be really strong (laughs) and it can extend to a lot of other things. Um, so I think it's really kind of, I don't know, beautiful in a way, you know, can lead to burnout, but like that constant beginner mindset, um, that programming instills where just the endless loop of like, I have no idea. I hope I figure it out in my case. Well, I'm going to teach it. And then I really solidify it. And, um, you know, you step back and sometimes you're like, well, I actually kind of like sort of know something now, like, but it doesn't feel like it at the time. Right. Cause there's no, there's no tests, right. There's no diploma. Yeah. Um, that, that can be a hard thing. There's no external markers for your programming knowledge. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I mean, it's like, it's, it's endless. And as you're saying, like learning new programming languages, like as you can just spend all your time learning new, interesting things, seeing different patterns and like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think it helps. I mean, uh, just even learning other languages more deeply. 
like uh yeah you can borrow stuff Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like i mean like with django like i i work with or i'm friends in my co-working space with people who work with uh, laravel which is a php framework in particular which has a lot i think django could borrow and and same Mm -hmm. thing with with programming languages right like you just sort of see the pros and the cons um and then you can start to make decisions for yourself and understand uh you know there's no silver bullets but um appreciate choices folks made and when you see something really well done like python like Guido, a lot of his initial ideas man like he really like he got a lot of stuff right he more stuff than he probably realized at the time right so there's some providence there but Hmm. yeah that oh man i i will uh love python was my first love i'll love it forever (laughs) it's you know it's hard once you've done python to like switch to other things you know i mean everyone sort of has the language or has their first language but i mean once you if you start with python i mean forget it like almost every other language is going to look awful in comparison (laughs) it's it really is the case i mean brackets and spacings um yeah yeah there's there's uh i don't i i really i'm really enjoying the experience and uh i don't i i feel no shame telling people when they're starting out like hey you gotta you gotta check out python for sure especially with the rich ecosystem, like what you're talking about. You got web, you've got uh, like DevOps stuff, you've got data science, like it's kind of crazy. All the, yeah. And it's, and it, and you can, yeah, you can do, you know, your, your undergrad CS curriculum in it, and then you can use it in all those different areas. And it's also um, just cause you know, Python doesn't mean, you know, you know, those areas. Like one thing I've been struck by is I'll have people who professional Python programmers who've been doing it for like a decade um, who like buy my books and we'll say like, this is the first time Django made sense to me. Hmm. And it's because they didn't, um, you know, web is different, right? They've been a penetration tester or they've been doing data science, you know, just cause they know Python doesn't mean they know the web. Right. So we all are, we all have our blind spots. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, so that's also, yes. And, and I guess it's helpful if you have the same language, <laughs> right? It is one less thing to worry about. Like that hmm. is sort of like, with JavaScript, right? Like with, with Node, it's like one language for the server and the client. That's really true. But I think uh, if there were a batteries included JavaScript framework that was testable, maybe I would use that, but that really does not exist. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good food for thought for folks that are figuring, trying to figure out where to you know, put their stake and get involved here. Yeah, I mean, everyone starts on the front end, right? Like the hard thing is that like, if you're solo, like building a full stack app is a lot of work and you'll probably never do that in a work setting. And yet that's what most people are trying to do. Like, you you know, it's like, you gotta learn all the back end and the front end and put it together. Nobody does that professionally. Like Hmm. that's, it feels overwhelming to people because it is overwhelming because nobody does that basically. Yeah, that's wild. But I mean, but like people, when they build a project, right? They're not building Django and they're not building API endpoints. Right? They want to build a mobile app or they want to build a site. So they just feel lousy at all of it. But like, if you get a job as a Jenga developer, you're probably building API endpoints. Hmm. You're not doing the front end. You're not doing JavaScript. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't feel that way when you're starting out. You feel like you have to have mastery over all these things. And you don't realize that nobody does and that the things you'll do in a, as a hobbyist are quite different than what you'll do as a professional programmer where you'll optimize things. You'll do a lot of testing. Um, so that's something I'm trying to work on explaining to people. I don't think that's clear. Yeah, that's that's really good perspective. I suffer from that. I'll be chewing on that after this interview uh, for sure. <laughs> I, I certainly suffer from that. Like, 
um, yeah, that's, that's good to good info. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so, uh, real, real quick question is blockchain an eye roller or a game changer? <laughs> I think, uh, I think the last place it'll take off is in currency because, um, which I think is maybe born out right now, um, because currency is a political thing. Um, I think it's potentially a game changer, especially with things like um, insurance and law. Um, I think, uh, I don't know much about the space. I mean, I guess my, my, my instinct would be to say, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I think the underlying yeah. idea is cool. I mean, I think like an end, endless linked list doesn't sound very performant to me mm-hmm. for a lot of use cases, but in terms of uh, identity and um, things where you want to have a record, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know about the whole anonymous nature potentially of it, if that is going to pan out as much, but I'm not particularly informed on the matter. Fair enough. And uh, what are some languages going into 2020 that, that you think should kind of be on people's radar? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I think if you have to pick two languages, Python, JavaScript, no question. Um, those are the most beneficial, the most widely applicable, the mo- best for hobbyists professionally. Um, if you had to pick a third language, I mean, so where do Python programmers go? They usually go to Go these days. Um, hmm. I think, you know, I think a lot of the times Python can do most of what Go can. I would say that personally. Um, but it's always good to n- learn another language. Um, yeah, what are, I don't know. I mean, you know, Scheme and Lisp are like really cool to play around with. I just think Python and JavaScript in particular are both changing a lot um, and so deep that you can just spend all your time on those. Um, I don't know, maybe learn some C code. I mean, pointers and all the rest and then just go. Or, I mean, yeah, I don't know, Java. I mean, you know, go write some Java and then you're just like, oh my God, like <laughs> what a pain that is. You know, it's so verbose, so much boilerplate. You got to compile it. I mean, geez. Um, Give you some appreciation for uh, what's... Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like jobs and stuff, I, I, mean, I don't know, maybe CSS, like actually learn CSS. CSS is kind of mm-hmm. deep. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you know Python well, you can really do almost anything. And JavaScript, usually JavaScript is that gateway, <laughs> that gateway language drug. And people over their career, they sort of drift more and more to the back end with experience. So hmm. I still think one of those two. Cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Where, what is the uh, call to action here with the, with the audience? <laughs> uh, Django is a fantastic framework. You should definitely consider it um, alongside Flask. Uh, if you want to learn more about it, djangoforbeginners.com. Uh, some free chapters you can get up and rolling. Uh, and I also have Django chat podcast, which does deep dives on Django. So if you really want to talk to Django folks and hear conversations, you can check that out. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think I I've turned over all the rocks that I can think of, uh, for this interview. Did we leave anything off the table that, uh, you'd like to share? Uh, no, this is great. I appreciate the questions and, uh, the space to talk when I'm, you know, <laughs> as a podcast host myself, sometimes I talk over guests. So, um, it's great that you don't do that. There's <laughs> nothing like listening to yourself to like check all your verbal ticks and go, oh man, what am I doing? So no, that, thank you. Thank you for the good questions. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Th uh, thanks for uh, joining uh, the Profitable Python and sharing all your golden nuggets for us to uh, monetize our, our programming skills. So uh, we'll, we'll talk soon, folks. Have a good one.